right, Dennis, thank you very much. Um, so, I guess Kamala Harris is 0 for 2 on uh, border protection. She re- remember that uh, the president sent her to Munich to uh, negotiate and uh, lay down the, the law, draw the line for Putin about Ukraine. Putin is in Ukraine. She was also the border czar for our southern border. That didn't go so well. So, um, one more. if she blows one more border enforcement assignment... She has struck out. Um, but I want to open up the phone lines, 210-599-5555, because this is a surreal, incredible turn of events that's going on. And I know that we have focused a lot in recent days about whether or not this would happen and whether or not, if it did happen, uh, what were the interests of the United States. But I'm setting that aside for the moment because, obviously, this invasion is real. It is happening. And whether... We have, um, you know, whether we agree or disagree on what America's interests are um, or whether we have any at all, you're going to feel this, okay, because what's been happening to our economy, what's been happening with inflation, what's been happening with gas prices is going to be exacerbated by this. But that's not Putin's doing. That's Joe Biden's doing. Let's be very clear that while Vladimir Putin has his, uh, you know, hands on the spigots and his, uh, you know, he's turning the screws here and ratcheting up the pressure there. It's up to our government, it's up to our leaders to make strategic decisions for us that are in our best interest. See, that's what most world leaders do. They look out for selfishly, self-centeredly, what's best for my country. America is an oddball country in that we frequently and proudly boast about making decisions that are not in our interest. We say, we'll gladly take the back seat. We'll gladly take the short end of the stick. We'll gladly sacrifice our economy for green economics or green energy. We'll gladly uh, provide, even, even though we're strapped financially, we'll gladly provide for the defense of wealthy European and Asian countries. But if we wanted to be in a better position right now, today, this afternoon, we would be an energy-independent country. Our three biggest suppliers in this order for oil are Canada, Mexico, and Russia. And if that wasn't the case, if we were not a net importer, then that hand on the spigot would have fewer consequences for us and fewer consequences for our allies, our fair-weather friends, because we could say to them, man up, be strong, you don't need him, you've got us. But we can't say that because they don't, because we're not the gas station. In fact, the United States could be Bucky's. We could be your one stop for everything, but we're not. 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555. Did you watch the president or listen to him today? What was your takeaway from that? How do you feel about the fact that President Joe Biden might be the one in office when there is a infraction of an Article 5 nation and NATO, which is the United States, and to a much, much lesser degree, the European countries, go to war? We could go to war. 
We are one, we're one more border away. You know, I, I think it's funny that the experts, every expert I've heard says, well, uh, Putin didn't want NATO on his doorstep. Well, by going into Ukraine, he's on NATO's doorstep. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. And I understand people will say, well, I, I think we should mind our own business, and we don't need to be the world's policeman. But, you know, Ukraine is a particularly interesting story. And I actually looked this up to make sure my memory was good, because I don't trust my memory anymore. Less and less all the time. You know that feeling. But remember after the Soviet Union imploded and the empire of all those Soviet republics collapsed and they all spun off and declared independence and there was great rejoicing in the streets. Ukraine was one of those countries, but Ukraine was a unique one. It wasn't like any of the other so-called SSRs because Ukraine, when it left the Soviet realm, had nuclear weapons. And this became a big focus for the Clinton administration, the new Clinton administration. And they went to Ukraine and they said, we'll make you a deal. You've got to give up those nuclear weapons. They're dangerous, not because we think you'll use them, but because you're a fledgling new country and you can't control them. You don't have command and control. You don't have redundancies like we do over our nuclear weapons. And the deal that Bill Clinton gave them, and I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying this, was you don't need them to be safe. We will keep you safe. We will be there for you. You can count on us. Now, maybe it's just words, and maybe they knew not to believe Bill Clinton. Eventually, we all learned not to believe Bill Clinton. But, you know, uh, that's our that's our history with Ukraine. So say what you want about we should mind our own business and worry about our problems at home, but we wrote a check, and now the president of Ukraine is trying to cash it. 210-599-5555. And even if you still think, well, I, I don't care what Bill Clinton told them. We're not, uh, this is, we're not getting involved in this, Jack. I don't want to be any part of it. I want to fix our roads and bridges, and I want to get our economy back, and I want to get CRT out of our schools, and I want to get uh, this midterm election. Okay, but it, it's not over for us even if we decide it is. When Vladimir Putin said that any interference would uh, bring back, I think he said, Russia will have consequences that you have never had before in your history. I wonder what he meant. He was saying to us, and he's referring to any interference, so sanctions, you know, what have you, blockades. You'll have consequences you've never had before in your history what's he mean how ready are we for those things how willing to respond to those things are we some people think he means nuclear i don't know or nuclear biological chemical or maybe he means emp or cyber but cyber would be its own kind of World War III. Cyber war would be like a World War III. It would be global. It would be it would it would pull in everybody. There'd be civilian as well as military targeting. And from everything I've read, we have immense capabilities 
for waging cyber warfare. We've been waging it against, you know, against Iran. That's why every so often you'll hear about a mysterious setback in their nuclear program. That's either us or the Israelis. Cyber warfare. We have it over North Korea. We probably have a fair amount of capability for disruption and cyber destruction in Russia. But we have to be willing to use it. We have to stop all this talk about international law and the community of nations. So when I tell you we can do it, that's one thing. When I tell you Joe Biden is the one in charge, or at least <laughs> at least it appears that he is, uh, that's something else. What do you think about all this? 210-599-5555. Uh, so the president has spoken, and Russia has acted. And we're talking about it. And Brian is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Brian, good afternoon. Hey, Jack. How you doing? Uh, good. good. Uh, thank thank you. you for taking my call. I uh, love listening to your station. listen to it all the time. listen to you all the time. Thank you. So here, here's my take on what the commander in thief has done. Um, he gave he, – recently he gave Putin the green light when he went ahead and um, gave him the okay for the uh, Nord Stream pipeline. That was kind of, a, I think, a subtle way of giving him the green light because he was basically saying, I'm not Donald Trump. Okay. But he- oh, I think we just lost. I think we just lost Brian. Brian, I'm sorry. I wanted to hear your call. Please call back and we'll get you back on. 210 uh, 599 Um Yeah, on the, on the uh, Nordstrom pipeline, um, what that, what, what, what giving the the green light on that meant was the gas station, the Bucky's for Europe is Russia. Now Russia wants and needs to be an exporter of petro products, but we were in a position to compete with them on that. And this is something that doesn't get talked about very much. It's it's not popular anymore. Right, we we talk about oil and and natural gas. We talk about fossil fuels, like we should be done with them, like they should be. There's something shameful. Look, we have 400 years worth in our own under our own ground. So we're in a position to be prosperous, secure, clean, and to help other countries buy from us. And when they buy from us, it's a clean transaction. We're not extorting them. We're not asking for territory. We're not. We're not uh, saying you can you can buy it from us if you put this guy in charge of your country. So it's a it's an attractive proposition, if you will, to not only Europe but to Asia. And I think Russia's aggressiveness on energy is driving their aggressiveness on territory, because what are you going to say? To your gas station, how much? How much can you really complain to your gas station? And and that it's Europe's gas station. I think we have Brian back. Let's try it again here. Uh, so Brian, you were starting to say that you think uh, the the Nord Stream decision was the pivotal one for Putin going into Ukraine, right? Yes, Jack, and uh, that was well said. What you said, I think it's because basically he let Vladimir know that we're at his behest, not he's at our behest. And um, here's the thing. It, it, Vladimir Putin, he's former KGB, okay? Former KGB is like 
the FBI and the CIA combined for Russia. So he's a fox. Joe Biden is a chicken in the chicken coop, and there's a hole in the fence, and the fox is just salivating at the fence. And I just think that he sees Joe Biden, a two-time failed presidential candidate, and a do-nothing senator for 40 years, is just a clown. But you I know, it's not, just, it's not just Biden, Brian. I was saying this the other day. We don't elect presidents who are the kind of people you would put in charge of our military, put in charge of a war, uh, lead the free world. We elect people because we think they'd be nice to have a beer with or they don't say mean things or they look kindly. And, and, and that doesn't work in this world. It probably never worked, but it certainly doesn't work now. It's not just him. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. We've got to start having job interviews and requiring that the person we elect not be a person we think we would like to live next door to, but be a person that would scare the, you know, you know what, out of a Vladimir Putin or a President Xi. Brian, thank you for the call. So that, until we start doing that stuff, and, and look, it may be that, um, you know, maybe that we don't have that person. Maybe I'm whistling Dixie here, but I think we do. I just think we keep looking for the wrong kind of person. This is not supposed to be a person that stars in an infomercial. This is not supposed to be a person you'd like to have lunch with or, uh, you know, have as your, as your best buddy. Um, it, I don't care if the person's rich. I don't care if they're poor. I don't care if they are, are good looking or they, they look bad or they're overweight. I don't care. I need them to be clear eyed about things. I need them to be ferocious about our interests. And we've had too many presidents since World War II, almost all of them, who have been all too willing to put America in the back seat. You know, the whole mindset after World War II, when the, when the war ended in 1945, the United States was in a position no country's ever been in, probably in global history. We were so much stronger and healthier and unscathed than the rest of the world that the rest of the world was in awe and, frankly, fearful. We were the only ones with an atomic weapon. when People barely knew what that was, but knew it was going to change everything. And so it made sense for the post-war presidents like Truman and Eisenhower to extend a humility about America. We would go into treaties and trade agreements, and we would take the short end of the stick. We would show favoritism to other countries. That's where most favored trading nation status came from. We, we actually intentionally negotiated to our disadvantage because it was our goal to show the world we're not out to conquer the world. We're not out to be the new Rome. But that was then. Europe has gotten up off its back from World War II. Japan has gotten up off its back from World War II. These countries are worthy competitors again. They're strong. They can stand on their own. They can pay their own way. And they, and they, and they would if we required them to. And so now it's time for leaders to be nationalists, to, be, to, to say, look, Yes, these are our values, and yes, we hope everyone shares them. But if not, we're going to look out for the interests of our country and our people. And we've more than richly earned the right to do that. It's our obligation to do that. And when we do that, the world is a safer place anyway. We don't have to be the world's policeman because a secure, prosperous United States is itself a deterrent to a lot of the things that we worry about 
and we have to deal with. And so that's why I think, to Brian's point, you know, yes, Biden is a, is a, is a, is a is a terrible president, but he's also a great example of the kind of people we have been repeatedly seeking out for a job that actually requires a very different personality, very different skill set. I said yesterday, maybe it's time to stop electing senators, congressmen, governors. Just that that's probably not the the right preparation for this job. You know, it just probably isn't. Because they all come from the same, they're cut from the same cloth. And they think the presidency is just a slightly bigger version of the thing they were doing before, but it's not. It's not. It's probably why George Washington was the first president. He wasn't, well, I mean, why didn't they choose the governor of one of the states or choose a senator or choose, it's interesting to think about that. They told us something with that choice. George Washington wasn't great because he was president. He was great, and then he became president. And that's what we need. Markets are down, and gas prices are up. I know you always stress the difference between Wall Street and Main Street, but everybody seems to be in for some economic pain. How economically painful is it going to get for people in this country? First of all, there's no doubt that when a major nuclear power attacks and invades another country, that the world is going to respond, and markets can respond all over the world. So there's no doubt about that, number one. Number two, the notion that this is going to last for a long time is highly unlikely as long as we continue to stay resolved in imposing the sanctions we're going to impose on Russia, period what he said this afternoon president joe biden of course he also said last year that inflation would be transitory so you know let the buyer beware 210-599-5555 you know something else i was thinking about today um and i'm probably going to kind of skip around and jump around here a little bit but if you think about i was just saying we need a president who looks out for the vested interests of the united states and her people but If you think about what's going to happen now, we're going to do these sanctions. They're not going to deter Putin. The president said that today. Well, they they don't deter him. But they uh, create pain for the thing he's already done. They're also going to create a lot of pain in a lot of other places. Our sanctions are going to affect a lot more people than his invasion of Ukraine. Think about that for a minute. The invasion of Ukraine is a problem for Ukraine. The sanctions will be a problem for people all over the world trying to afford to keep the lights on or heat their home. When that happens in a lot of poorer countries, what do people do when things get hard in a poor country? What do they do? You know. They come here. We've actually, I heard this afternoon, we've deployed the 82nd Airborne Division to deal with a new wave of immigrants. But you know where they are? They're in Poland. Because Poland will be the first country to receive people fleeing Ukraine. And God bless the 82nd Airborne Division. But 
Think about that for a minute. We know there's going to be an immigration crisis, so we've sent the military. But we have an immigration crisis, and we've done nothing. And we're going to have more of one. Because the places from which today's immigrants come are going to be hit very hard by the sanctions that we're imposing. So whether or not they're the right or wrong thing to do, they have a lot of other consequences. They don't seem to have many consequences for the people we're trying to actually punish. And again, as I said, it it, it kind of all, I, I know this doesn't sound very glamorous or eloquent, it all kind of comes back to oil. If you have it and you are drilling it and accept, and and refining it and using it and not depending on other people for it, you kind of write your own ticket. And when you have to depend on other people, and the more you depend on them, the less so. And then you have to start making these sort of cramped and artificial choices, and you have to put the best face on it that you can, but you're you're sort of a hostage. We're doing that to ourselves. Now, the politicians in the coming days and weeks are going to try to say, every time you complain about the price at the pump, they're going to say Putin. They're going to say Russia. But remember, they've made a series of choices that have a lot more to do with that than Russia does. 210-599-5555. So John Kerry is worried that a war will distract from fighting climate change and and will contribute to climate change i guess he has a point peace is pretty clean right <laughs> peace doesn't blow stuff up and light it on fire and here's another worry this is how unhinged the left has become this uh person named dana hool uh actually tweeted this out um, late last night. Uh, Dana had seen a lot of people in Ukraine crowding into subway stations and said only 35% of Ukrainians have been vaccinated, less than 2% have been boosted. So you're in a country, I'm not making this up, you're in a country where Air raid horns are going off, and bombs are falling, or missiles are falling. You don't know what to do. You're getting out of your house. You're you're going to the 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 places that seem like they would be safe, as is everybody. So they're crowded, and she's worried about unvaccinated people huddling together. Wow. Wow. I wonder if she, I'm saying she Dana could be a he. If he or she is is thinking they deserve to be blown up because they didn't get the vaccine, or should they stay out in the open? Should they stay six feet apart out in the street? I think COVID might be the least of their worries right now. But see, this is, all joking aside, this is how it becomes easy to fixate on one thing and make that one thing your everything. And and. And COVID has become a thing like that. I mean, in the past, there were people that fixated on not eating meat or fixated on not using fossil fuels or fix it. But, but COVID is like that new fixation where once you, you see it, you see it everywhere, right? And 
you can impose your COVID mindset on everything, every decision everybody else makes and everything everybody else does, and you know better, and these people shouldn't be in bomb shelters because COVID. This is how they think. And it's worth, we can laugh about it and mock and so forth, but it's worth asking, as I've said before, who does this to people? Who makes people like this? You know the answer. We all know the answer. We all we know how this happened. 210-599-5555. And while John Kerry is worried that we will take our eye off the climate change ball, the truth is that actually this, this uh, attack on Ukraine is going to distract us from a lot of other things. I mean, all kidding aside about Kerry and this crazy person on Twitter, there really is now going to be less coverage, for example, of our midterm election. There's going to be less coverage of the Durham report. There's going to be less exposure or scrutiny of other things people in power are doing. Um, yes, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, but there's also a finite amount of attention we can give things, or each of us has to follow the news. Yeah, this is actually going to crowd out some other things that may also be important. It's funny how when you wish a problem away, it comes back on you hard, doesn't it? You know, it's like it's like ignoring a medical symptom and then finding out that you waited too long. It's kind of what we did with Putin. Oh, probably should have had that checked out sooner. Um We've played it a lot lately. Um, Mitt Romney, back before he was in the Senate and before he kind of lost his ish over Donald Trump when he was the Republican nominee in 2012, was widely mocked and ridiculed for answering the question, who is the chief uh, geopolitical adversary of the United States, by saying, Russia. And in that debate, then-President Obama tweaked him, and, oh, the, the media, they just loved it. They just wet themselves laughing. He tweaked him by saying, uh, hey, Governor, the 80s called and want their foreign policy back, meaning, oh, to be worried about Russia, to be thinking that Russia is a threat, is so 1980s. Dude, this is what I mean about I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican or liberal or conservative. We need to we need to choose presidents who are commanders and have a worldview and are serious, not people we want to have a beer with. Oh, he seems like a nice guy. Oh, he seems like a he seems like an inspiring figure. No. Say what you want about Mitt Romney, but he wasn't just right about this. He was right about a number of things in 2012. And I'm not crazy about the Mitt Romney who became unhinged over Donald Trump, but there's a reason I've only ever, ever endorsed one candidate in all the years I've done talk radio, and it was that, it was that guy in 2012, because I thought that was a stark choice. That was one of the starkest choices I think I had ever seen. He put out a statement after the Russian invasion including the line, the 80s called and we didn't answer. So, 
Mitt Romney remembers. Mitt Romney. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'm ever going to hear the word sanctions the same way again, you know? Because that word was almost like a magic word. We've heard that word. If we, if you, if you had a drinking game the last few weeks and you took a drink every time, uh, somebody said sanctions, you, you'd need a new liver. But sanctions have not deterred, altered, deflected the trajectory of things here at all. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is that Putin just didn't roll out of bed one day and say, you know what I think I'd like to do today? (laughs) Is my schedule clear? You know what I think we should do? This is part of a worldview. Now, it's an evil worldview. It's a selfish, self-aggrandizing worldview. Putin has made himself one of the richest men in the world off the backs of his own people. He's a, he's a thief. He's a, he's a crook. I mean, you could take all the crookedness of all the presidents we've had in this country and add it all up. It doesn't, doesn't even come close to what he's stolen out of his own country. But he has a worldview. And part of that means he knows exactly what to expect from our leaders. I think he respects our military. I think he respects you. You know, we've had a lot of enemies over history who recognize that the American people and the American experiment is an extraordinary and powerful thing. They may not admire it, but they respect it. Japan spent a lot of time in the 1930s, studying us, and only made the moves they made that led to World War II because they determined we probably wouldn't fight. Not because they thought, oh, we can beat them. They didn't want to beat us. They knew we could they couldn't beat us. And when we did fight, they realized they were toast. But their determination was they probably won't fight. And I kind of think that's the determination here. Eh, they, they'll complain a lot. America will complain a lot. They'll go to the UN. There'll be some sternly written letters. John Kerry will speak out. We can weather that. And that's what's happening. Sanctions are not only not powerful or scary, they're totally expected. You know, if you break down the concept of sanctions, it's really like a rich guy trying to buy his way out of trouble. You know, you're in trouble and you're thinking, well, I've got a lot of money. Maybe I can, <laughs> maybe I can bribe my way, buy my way out of this trouble. But it's not going to work. Now, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, let's go have a ground war in Ukraine. But I am saying is if you are, if you have strength and you project a willingness to use it and if people are not actually sure what you'll do right if they have to wonder and and worry about what you're going to do that unpredictability of a reagan or a trump why then you might not have this kind of thing to begin with and then again you don't try to buy your way out of it you don't say well hey well what are they paying you we'll pay it twice i mean if if that really was the answer, Biden could just call Putin on the phone and say, how much money do I need to send you, wire you, 
to leave Ukraine alone. Doesn't work that way, does it? <laughs> or at least it hasn't yet. I guess we never say never, because maybe that'll be the thing we hear on the news tomorrow. Yesterday, we talked a lot about um, w- whether or not this would happen and, and whether or not, uh, w- w- what specifically are the interests of the United States or why should Americans uh, care uh, or how much, I, I'm not, I guess it's not really fair to say, sh- you know, do we care? But, I mean, how much and why should we care about what might happen in Ukraine and now it's happening? Uh, and what's happening is a full-on invasion that has exceeded even the most dramatic uh, predictions uh, that some people were making. And I found myself thinking last night as I was listening to the news come over about the invasion and and you know it's funny because it all sounds very familiar this is how it sounded when you know gulf war one was starting this is what it sounded like when they were covering tiananmen square and we're having one of those moments you know that's going to be like yesterday is going to be a date that will appear on a history test someday but i found myself thinking as i was listening to it everybody's talking about democracy but what this is really about is oil. I, I, and I don't mean to sell democracy short. I'm, I'm a fan. And I don't mean to, you know, uh, gloss over the fate of 40 million people. And before anything else, we should pray for everyone in Ukraine. This is real. This isn't a simulation. This isn't a game. But it's about oil. It's about the fact that uh, Russia is our third leading supplier of oil. Uh, it's about the way in which oil and natural gas are going to be manipulated. The supply is going to be manipulated uh, by Russia. It's about the incredible dependence Europe has on Russia for oil and natural gas. Germany gets 60% of theirs from Russia. Most of Europe gets about 40%. So the thing that is always run down and 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 denigrated by the american left that that you know fossil fuels they call it with a sneer because it's from the dinosaurs you know that it, it turns out that is still what's driving everything you can be riding around in an electric car you can have solar panels on the roof of your house but oil still drives this world oil is what will drive and will determine the outcome of this whole thing, whether it lasts a few days or a week or months, or I don't know. The president spoke this afternoon. He, um, again, as he did the other day, read from the teleprompter. Uh, this time he took some questions that uh, were very direct, and I thought his answers were not. He talked a lot about the severity of the sanctions that we're imposing, but admitted that the sanctions didn't deter Russia. You know, there's a, there's a huge divide in this administration about what these sanctions were supposed to do. Uh, let me play for you. Um, this was Vice President Harris in Munich the other day getting a question about would sanctions uh, be a deterrent? And this is what she said, cut number six. But if you believe Putin has made up his mind... What leverage do you really have? Why not put those sanctions in place now? The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. 
But let's also recognize the unique nature of the sanctions that we have outlined. These are some of the greatest sanctions, if not the, the, the strongest, that we've ever issued. As I articulated yesterday, it, it is directed at institutions, in particular financial institutions and individuals, and it will exact absolute harm for the Russian economy and their government. Okay, so she's saying, um, you know, deterrence, right? When the president got the question today, this is what he said about sanctions and deterrence. Cut number seven. This is going to take time. It's not going to occur. He's going to say, oh, my God, these sanctions are coming. I'm going to stand down. He's going to test the resolve of the West to see if we stay together, and we will. We will, and it will impose significant costs on him. So I... I don't know how you feel about it, but I think Vladimir Putin is a realist, not a crazy. I don't like him, but I, I, I think he's got his, his you know, options laid out. I think he's baked into the cake or priced into the equation all the things he thinks we will do. Do you honestly think that the Biden administration has something concocted or up their sleeve that he has not anticipated maybe he, maybe they do I, I sure hope so but i think he's priced in everything they have done or maybe considering uh doing the president also drew a line and this is very important and this is what the history books are going to remember because he didn't say it but in so many words he said okay well you've got ukraine but we will not let you have one inch of any of the NATO states. So he said, we won't fight, we won't put troops on the ground in Ukraine. I know a lot of you don't believe that that is absolutely not true, and I, I don't blame you for wondering if that's still going to happen. Some of you were old enough to remember Lyndon Johnson saying, there will be no American boys in Vietnam. So I don't know. But the president did say, we're definitely going to defend every inch of NATO territory. Well, that includes the Baltics, that includes Poland, and those are countries that Vladimir Putin is very specifically talking about right now. He's not done. Ukraine is not it. Uh, things like this are, are uh, always more a beginning than an end. And then the president ag again expressed concern about gas prices. He, he has this phrase he uses when he talks about it. He says, this is personal to me. But he did absolutely nothing. He said absolutely nothing about releasing the strategic reserve, uh, starting to open up leases again, revisiting Keystone XL. So he's basically saying, uh, it, yeah, I, I know it's going to be painful, but I'm, not, I'm choosing not to do any of the many things I could do to blunt that pain. And don't forget, it not only has to be blunted for you and me, but if you want that unity in Europe to endure, then you have to be their gas station, because Russia is their gas station. So we know what's most important to President Joe Biden. It's not Ukraine. It's not even the American people. It's the Green New Deal lobbyists. He will not give an inch on fossil fuels, as they like to call them. So he went on and on about how badly these sanctions will damage the Russian economy. But he never took the step or even mentioned the step that would both damage theirs 
and at the same time benefit ours, which is to dramatically step up our oil and gas production. Now, maybe he can't do it because to do that would invite comparisons to the energy policies of his predecessor, and, you know, he, he can barely stand to mention the guy's name. But the truth is we were energy independent, and that energy independence was not only good for us, it was good for our allies. Now we're not. And um, that's why I said at the beginning of this discussion, everything comes down to oil. It pretty much always has for about the last 75 years anywhere in the world. It always comes down to oil. Before we get to uh, our next guest, I want to play you um, an interview, a piece of an interview uh, that uh, former Secretary of State, Senator, presidential candidate, our current climate envoy, John Kerry, did. Uh, This is how he's expressing his concern about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You you have to hear this to, to get just how bizarre it is. Take a listen to this. I'm very concerned about I'm concerned about Ukraine because of the people of Ukraine and because of the principles that are at risk uh, in terms of international law and trying to change boundaries of international law by force. Uh, I thought we lived in a world that had said no to that kind of activity, and I hope diplomacy will win. But a massive Uh, emissions consequences to the war, but equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose certainly big country attention because they will be diverted, and and, uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. So, you know, I think hopefully President Putin would realize that in the northern part of his country, they used to live on 66% of a nation that was over frozen land. Now it's thawing, and his infrastructure is at risk and the people of Russia at risk. And so I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for Uh, the climate. Imagine that guy could have been president. Jed Babin is a former deputy undersecretary of defense in the Bush 41 administration, contributing editor at American Spectator. Before we get to Ukraine, Jed, I mean, look, this man is one of the major. Look, he he is he's one of the the grand old men of the Democratic Party, right? He's one of the the uh, you know elder statesmen of this country, and he thinks his takeaway from from the events of the last twenty four hours is it's a terrible distraction from climate change, and and and, and then he also I don't want to let him off the hook on this. I thought we lived in a world where we were past that. He thinks oh, yeah. that international law is a restraint against this kind of thing? Well, you know, John Kerry is a perfect example of the Brandon administration. I mean, there's not one of them, not one of those morons that has an IQ higher than room temperature. So, you know, you're expecting this sort of thing. He wants Putin to focus on climate change while he's conquering another country. And, you know, again, Biden said the other day that, you know, the world will uh, hold Russia accountable. Really? You know, international law is supposed to be violated, is supposed to be followed. Well, you know what? Um, International law is politics. The only international law that really governs are the Geneva Conventions on treating prisoners of war. And there's really nothing else to it. So, you know, again, Mr. Biden Mr. Kerry, I mean, these guys are incapable of functioning. They're completely incompetent. And it just, it pains me that these idiots are even in charge. 
Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hoping, and you're probably going to tell me I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm hoping there are people brighter and a little more current uh, than John Kerry, who just sounds like somebody who should be in a in a drawing room in the 1930s somewhere. Um, look, what uh, what's your what's your takeaway from the way this went down in Ukraine overnight? Well, I was wrong. I thought Putin was going to stop in uh, Donbass, and he didn't. He declared basically war on the entire country of Ukraine, and they're in the process of conquering it. I think the Ukrainians are going to fight very bravely. I think there are going to be thousands upon thousands of people killed. Uh, and I think that, you know, frankly, Mr. Zelensky uh, is at risk himself. He's not going to try to take off, I don't believe, uh, and, and leave the country like the president of Afghanistan, Ashraf Ghani, uh-huh. did. I think he's going to stay till the end, and he may end up against the wall and shot. But that I was think some kind of speech people. where he was talking about, well, if you want a gun, we'll give you a gun. That was, yeah. <laughs> I've never heard anything he's, like that before, except in a movie. Well, and, and don't forget, this guy was a, <clears throat> a TV actor, a comic, who was kind mm-hmm. of elected president by accident, and mm-hmm. he's been more of a statesman than John Kerry or Joe Biden or anybody else involved. You know, he's a very tough guy at this point, and he's, he's doing the best he can for his country, but they're going to go down to defeat. You know, I, I'm sure that by now Russia has established air supremacy, and, you know, once that's done, you know, the rest is, uh, is bloody cleanup. It's really much about all there is. I, I heard somebody say, and I want to get your take on this, that the easy part is, you know, rolling in and rolling up your territorial gains. The hard part is holding especially a country that size. Look at what look at how we struggled to hold and and at one time the Soviet Union struggled to hold a smaller country uh in Afghanistan. You know, and that's very true. I mean, you know, we I think we talked about this the other night. Um Ukraine is about the same size as Texas. It's a very big place and it's a very <clears throat> it's a very different situation though than Afghanistan. Afghanistan mountainous, tribal, uh you know, basically devoted to the Muslim, uh, the radical Muslim ideology, uh, it would be much harder to conquer Afghanistan than it would be uh, to conquer Ukraine. And I think for that reason, uh, you know, it's going to be a long, painful occupation for uh, the Russians to get to stay in Ukraine. But they're not going to change. They're, they're going to stay. They're going to have an easier time than they would have in Afghanistan than they did actually have in Afghanistan. Uh, and I think we're going to see, you know, a new Russian puppet government there probably by the end of the week. If um, if it turns out that uh, the president, our president, is right at the moment that there is great unity among the NATO countries, everybody agrees with his approach, uh, he, that's what he said today, how long will that last if and when, and it's probably more like when, uh, Russia starts turning the spigots on oil and natural gas. It won't last more than two seconds. And don't forget, you know, all the unity he talks about, it's unity in the U.N. Security Council. So bloody what? You know, the U.N. Security Council can whistle Dixie, and, you know, <laughs> Vladimir Putin's not going to pay any dog on attention to them. You know, the fact is you have people like the commander of the German army saying today, according to a Reuters report, that, uh, you know, there's no nothing we can do about it. You know, the options we can offer the government in support of our, of our alliance are extremely well, limited. 
that's why not, I mean, yeah, but that's that's why I think instead of a lot of flowery words today and talking about democracy, which I, I know you have to dress it up with a, that kind of language, but this is really about oil. And if if the president today had laid out a plan for yeah. granting oil and gas leases again, for going back to a Keystone XL, if he could say, not only will I blunt the the effect on American consumers, which he he sort of said, but we will be the the gas station for Europe and Asia, uh, then I think you could maybe uh, try to hold together uh, some unity. Well, I think you're right, and that's exactly what he should be doing, but that's exactly what he's not doing. You know, the president is not going to uh, open up the Keystone, or rather the, yeah, the Keystone XL pipeline. He's not going to give permits for that. He's not going to open oil and gas uh, leases on uh, off our coastlines. And he's not going to do anything to relieve the pressure on our uh, consumers. You know, he's beyond doing that because he is, you know, like John Kerry, so concerned with the greening of America that he's not going to take anything, any option that he could to try to uh, lower the gas prices or, or relieve our consumers. What he should be doing, you know, even though he won't do it, uh, he's announcing all these minor sanctions that are just trivial. What he ought to be doing is convincing the countries in Europe to take the Russians out of the SWIFT consortium. We talked about that the other night. That's the bank clearing uh, mechanism that governs pretty much the whole world. That would pretty much devastate the Russian economy. It wouldn't completely wipe it out, uh, but it would hurt big time. But he's not doing that. He's not really doing anything to relieve uh, the pressure on our oil and gas supplies. Uh, he's, again, uh, there, there's nobody competent in this administration. Real quick, Jed, what's the next column about? Oh, God, I don't know, Jack. <laughs> I'm trying to sit so, here and sift it's through It's hard it. to decide. Yeah, you've got so much to work with, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I could write a whole column on John Kerry. I mean, it's just stupefying mm. that he is that stupid. Yeah, I would, I, if I may, I would vote against that choice unless you get writer's block. But uh, but I know it would be a good one. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. We talked to the CEO of Hatsala Ukraine, a man who has stayed behind while getting his family out right before the Russian invasion. Shlomo Rosilio is on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Um, I listened to a couple of the uh, interviews that you did on the Fox News Channel uh, this morning, and I, I think you have a lot of new admirers and fans, uh, and I'm one of them. So thank you for making time for us. Thank you so much for having me on uh, on the show today. Uh, I appreciate your support, and I appreciate your admiration, but uh, I'm really not doing that much. I'm doing God's work, helping, and, uh, you know, that's that's what I do. Tell, tell us a little uh, bit about what Hatsalash Ukraine is. Well, tell me what you do. So Hatsala Ukraine was formed about seven years ago uh, by me and my associate, Nachman Steinberg. Uh, we, uh, we create this uh, in order to help some people at the time of war, uh, when the war started, actually, uh, back in those days. And uh, we were in the front line, and we decided to go ahead and start helping the soldiers. I'm a paramedic. He's coming also from the medical field. We decided to start and uh, go ahead and help them. We opened a field hospital. We had a couple of things that we did there. And we stayed there for a very long time, on and off, back and forth. And then we started helping other people, and that's how we expanded. We've been today almost all over Ukraine. And uh, right now, this is a time in need, and a lot of people need our help, and we're trying to do our best to get to everybody. And uh, 
this is a very stressful moment for my family, you know, that I'm staying behind and uh, for his family and for all of us. It's very difficult. Uh, go ahead. It's got to be it's got to be difficult to be away from your family and it's got to be difficult knowing how worried they are about you. Um, as you have remained in Ukraine. But let me ask you, what is the situation there right now? What what are people like? What are people doing? So uh, I can tell you this. The city is a ghost town. I'm not joking. I'm right now in one of the major cities of Ukraine. I'm not going to mention where. But uh, it's it's a ghost town. You open the window, you, you can feel the silent, mm-hmm. literally. It's 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 amazing me because this city never sleep, never, never, ever. And it's basically you can just feel it and it cuts you off and you feel like something's coming. And we know something is coming this morning. Uh, we hope not strong, but it's coming. Have people gotten yeah. is it a combination of people getting out of the country or just getting out into the countryside? Are people trying to get away from the cities? So, so it's very difficult to say because some people saying that if you stay in the city, then you're going to be fine because the soldiers don't want to hurt the citizens. They just going into, you know, the, uh, the uh, army targets and things like this. But in the meantime, uh, you see that people got hurt in the city. But at the same time, also, if you go to the countryside and you decide to go, uh, you know, far away, you don't know where you're going to go because you don't know if you're going to hit, you know, uh, an army base or something like Mm -hmm. this. You're going to be close to it and it's going to be bombed and you're going to feel it. So it's very, very difficult to know where to go or what to do. And the uh, authorities here are very limited in resources and, and they don't even know how to basically give simple instructions of what to do in case of, something happened you know so you know take for for example take israel and you're going to see that israel is uh unfortunately you know they have experience with this kind of thing mm-hmm. missiles you know sirens all those things mm-hmm. those people never had a war they don't know what it is they don't mm-hmm. even know what uh you know uh and uh, horn means well what is it you know so it's basically very difficult for them to to get into this reality you know for the first time in your life that you hear it, it's early morning, four o'clock in the morning, and you hear the bumps, and you don't know what to make of it. You know, we, we we've heard a lot about the speech that the president of Ukraine gave and the offer of guns to anyone who wants to fight. How is that even working? I mean, where where are people going to get those guns, and are they going? So it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit difficult to say because right now there's still it's there is. Whatever he said on his speech, you're right, but there's no uh, a lot of places that you can really, mm-hmm. you know, find that and and you know and get there and do and do all those things because first of all, it's weapon warehouses and people scared to go there because they can be bombed. Right. And bear in mind that the Soviets built all those uh, warehouses. They know exactly where they are. They have mm-hmm. the maps. They're the one that built it, actually. You right. know. But as far as I know, uh, my intel tells me that there's about uh, 10,000 weapons that was uh, delivered uh, in the past couple hours, uh, you know, tonight to a citizen who decided to take uh, precaution and protect himself and their country. Um, and that's, that's basically what's going on right now. So the West has made it clear that the only response to this will be 
economic sanctions, uh, the Ukrainian people are on their own. Um, which is unfortunate. You, which is. Uh, do you do you get the sense that they would fight, or that this would be over very quickly, or that the occupation would be as it was for the Russians in Afghanistan? It would be a long sort of attrition thing. I mean, what what is your sense of the Ukrainians? Um, I'm afraid that they're not going to be hold, uh, they're not going to be able to hold themselves for long. Um, the Russian army is much stronger uh, and much eager to win this war and take over Ukraine. Mm. And unfortunately, the West is uh, stepping out and you know and fighting it uh, with with words, which which this war you're not going to win it with words. Vladimir Putin is a strong guy, very eager to, uh, you know, take his word and, and, and just do whatever he said. If you look on all these sentences in the past couple of weeks, he did everything one by one, whatever he did. And this country, you know, Ukraine, um, I think it's going to take her a very, very long time to recover from such, uh, mm-hmm. even, even if now, even if tomorrow this, war is going to be over the country is going to take a very very long time to recover because people are devastated they can't believe that something like this could happen to them overnight mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so and i think the west needs to wake up absolutely what, what would be your message to an american hearing this and wanting to know why this should matter i mean besides you know the human condition we're all children of god but what wh- wh- how do you get an american to care about the plight of the ukrainian people first of all they can donate to our organization that's that's first thing uh, second of all i would tell them to speak up speak up in social media say what you think you know uh, biden's position on this matter is very upsetting very, very upsetting, you know, from the beginning. But it is what it is. We're trying to live with this. But but in the meantime, these people are getting killed. You can't say you're very sorry and, you you know, right. and all kinds of things. You need to fight it. You need to get up and fight it. And, and what is the website for your, uh, for your organization? My website for my organization is www.com. Hatsala Ukraine, which is H A T Z A L A H Ukraine dot org. So that's that's our website, and uh, we will appreciate any donations. Of course, we're doing a lot of work here, which is uh, I haven't slept in 24 hours, and uh, we had a lot of. Uh, I'll give you a nice example of what's going on in here. We had uh, about um, 70 families, foreigners, that uh, they, were, uh, they were stuck in, in an area which is uh, Cherkasky region. It's, it's the center of Ukraine, and it's very close by, with, you know, to the border of a Russian territory. Not Russia, but a Russian territory. And uh, basically, uh, we have got requests from the embassy that they can do it. They went to a different side of the country, which is very far away, about, I think it's 700 miles, and not in kilometers, kilometers, like 900, so I think it's like 700 miles away. And they requested our help to help them. 
And I tell you, boy, 24 hours to find one bus who's willing to take them to the border, which is a two-hour drive, cost mm-hmm. them $10,000. And there wasn't well, only one bus. You're doing amazing, amazing work. So, uh, Hatsala, Ukraine. Dot org, uh, and before I, I have to, I have to mention this because my producer told me you, you and your family actually spent some time living here in San Antonio, right? Yeah, yeah. You, uh, oh, you got that already. Interesting. Yeah. When, when was we that? How far back was that? Street. That was, uh, I think, eight years ago. Something wow. like this. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Blanco my, my Road. Wife grew up in San Antonio. Yeah. Uh, my oh, wife grew that. up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you've got a San Antonio woman, then you then you're you're half you're halfway set right there. Absolutely. We just need Absolutely. to get you safely out of there and back with them again. But uh, Godspeed the work you're right. doing, uh, Shlomo Rosilio. Thank you for being with us. I hope we can talk to you again really and stay safe. It. Thank you right. so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to post that uh, website um, so you'll be able to have that. We're joined on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line by a uh, two-decades Marine who now serves as a senior research fellow uh, at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Dakota Wood is uh, with us, and it's good to have you back, and, and good afternoon to you. Well, thanks so much, and great to be with you. I, um, I want to start by asking you kind of what was the top-line takeaway you got from the president's remarks this afternoon? Uh, too little, too late. <laughs> I mean, if he yeah. talks about uh, that we've been warning about this for months, that they've been tracking it from the White House, you know, why is the response been so incremental uh, and so reactive you know, to events that have been holding on the ground? So in the 15 minutes that the president spoke, you know, what we really took away from that is we're all very angry about what happened. We're going to place sanctions against five banks, sanction some individuals, and some months down the road, the economic pain will be sufficient to cause Vladimir Putin to withdraw his forces and reconsider his misbehavior. I mean, I just didn't find that as a very compelling case uh, that was made by the president this afternoon. I, you know, I heard all that, too. But I also heard, if I was, unless I'm mistaken, that the president wrote a uh, basically drew a line. Because he did say we will defend every inch of Article Five territory, right. and I thought this doesn't doesn't sound very convincing. You're giving you're giving him Ukraine, so how how deterred would he be by your robust insistence that you'll defend Estonia or Lithuania? Yeah, I mean, you know, vigorously saying something that we're already obligated to do as a member of NATO. <laughs> if there's attack on one. It triggers Article 5. It's an attack on all, and we would do that anyway, right? So he was just reemphasizing something that we're obligated to do. And, 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 you know, there is power in ambiguity in international relations, right? And so by the president saying we absolutely will not deploy U.S. forces into Ukraine to fight uh, Russian troops, even if we never intended to do that, by explicitly saying that, it tells Vladimir Putin, well, that's one problem I don't have to worry about. So basically, I can do whatever I want to in Ukraine. You're going to try to uh, restrict the flow of income into my coffers, and I'm already a multi-billionaire, right? Uh, my economy hasn't been growing anyway. Uh, you haven't cut off the sale of any of the energy that I sell to Europe or any place in the world. There's no sanctions on the sale of weapons and bad caviar. Uh, and so he gives a green light 
to Putin to do whatever he wants to for as long as he wants to uh, in Ukraine, to subjugate that country, to install a puppet regime, to seize territory and ports on the Black Sea, all of those sorts of things. And the pain months down the road might cause him to reconsider. And if you listen to John Kerry, maybe Putin will lose some sleep about the carbon footprint of his 100 battalion mm-hmm. tactical groups and 1,400 tanks. I mean, I thought it was just ridiculous. Well, thanks for listening to all of our coverage this afternoon and this evening of Ukraine and all the breaking news. We're going to continue that coverage next hour with an ABC News special entitled Crisis in Ukraine. Get all the latest right there. And thanks for voting in the JR poll. You can always see the results at KTSA.com. And you can always find a question to vote on anytime, all the time, just like our show, On Demand at KTSA.com.